still have church. We can still praise you. We thank you for this morning, Lord, that we are in this place, that we have a place to call our own, that we can gather freely and worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you, God, and we pray that you will be here with us throughout the remainder of this service, that everything will go decently and in order according to your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, seeing as though we do not have uh, sound, uh, you might want to come a little closer unless you can hear me where you are. Obviously, you know, we still did the PowerPoint, but it's on this side over here. Uh, so you'll be able to see it there if you come closer and on this side of the building. Uh, but if you're comfortable where you are, uh, they have no, by all means, stay exactly where you are. Uh, everybody all right today? Well, you know, I always believe that. Uh, the richness. <laughs> uh, my loving wife, thank you very much. Uh, but here we are in uh, 2020, March 2020. Uh, just a reminder about the scholarships. Uh, remind people uh, if they uh, have high school graduating seniors to uh, go to our church website and uh, download the application. Uh, applications will be due in April, and we will be making decisions uh, before May in awarding the actual scholarships, I believe, in June. Uh, one of the requirements for the students that if we, are, if we do select them, uh, they have to come and be present here uh, to receive the $1,000 uh, for the year. And uh, uh, people, people have been asking, and I've been telling them and letting them know and so we need to spread that word uh, so that we can make sure we get, uh, have a nice pool and definitely have uh, uh, five young people get some money for college because college certainly ain't cheap. Uh, last week, our first Sunday in this biz, uh, building, we had Desmond Pringle came and preached for us. And while I had received various feedback uh, about uh, Pastor Pringle, some things he really struck on and something he said that resonated with me the entire week, uh, referring to R2D and R2D's ministry as being necessary and significant. Uh, when he, he started, when he was saying, uh, referring to some of these mega church pastors that, that feel that if you are, do not have a church, that has 100 or 200 members, then the right thing to do would be to close your doors and bring your church and all its members to make a mega church even more mega. Uh, and, and I remember at the end of service, I had shared that uh, I was watching uh, a, a television program and they were interviewing uh, three men who uh, have the title of bishop. How they received this title, I have no idea, but uh, they were three bishops in a prominent denomination uh, and they were in, uh, in being interviewed and one of the very more prominent of the three had stated that he based a successful ministry on the, the amount of people who come into the door. And I remember that all the other two who were next to him were in 100% agreement that a successful ministry has a thousand members or 500 members or whatever number that he threw out. And Desmond made it 
uh, very clear, or at least the, when he discussed it, uh, made it very clear to me that where they were off track in that success is not about numbers, but about quality. As we say, quality versus quantity. Right. You might have a lot of something, but if it ain't worth nothing, then it really doesn't make a difference. You can go out and spend a lot of money. You can go out and do a lot of things. You can spend a lot of time. Matter of fact, I remember working with a dude who was very proud of the amount of time he spent at a particular employer. This is the time I was working with FedEx, and I remember him thinking that because he had been there so long that somehow he garnered a little bit more respect than anybody else, and someone had reminded him don't matter to me if you've been here 17 years, that even 17 good years, where the quality of the time and the quality of the work that you did while you were at this place, did it do anything? Did it impact anything? And that's what struck me about this is because I've been a part of other churches. I've been a part of one that would probably register as a mega ministry, but I don't believe their ministry was significant. And his reminder to us is that R2D is significant. It didn't matter that we, it doesn't matter that we don't have 8,000 people. Uh, all that matters is that we impact lives, and that's something we do. The scholarship is a reminder of the impact that we have on the lives of people, the impact we have on the community. This being the second Sunday in uh, uh, March, the impact that we're going to have on the LAX Food Bank when we donate this food, that we are necessary, that we are significant, and we play a role in the lives of people who depend on us as a church. We have significance. And so when we look at significance and what a significance actually means, and we, we have this idea about what it means to be significant, but one of the things that I found is that significance is not just about something we say significant numbers. It is about the quality of being worthy. The quality of being worthy gives you significance. And, and we know that when we are in this Christian walk that we have to be worthy of the love of God. We have to be worthy of the salvation that God has bestowed upon us. It also says that you have to have sufficient worth. But it's not about being perfect. To be worthy does not mean you have to be perfect. It just means that you have a quality of being worthy. We know that as sinners, we are not perfect. None of us are perfect, but we do have the the uh, have enough sufficient worth and quality in us of being worthy, which is why God has chosen us for this time, for this place. And that leads us this morning to our scripture <clears throat> that we will be addressing. It is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. And Paul says these words. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. He's telling us, I want you to live a life that has significance. There we go, a little drag on it. Might need to change this battery. That we have to have a life of significance. 
Some of us think we are significant, that we are worthy. Some people have told us that we're not worth anything. As a matter of fact, you might have had someone in your life tell you you ain't worth a... You know where we're going with that. I don't have to spell it out. Uh, but Paul said he is beseeching us. He is imploring us. He is, he's, he's, he's begging us to live a life worthy of the calling to have a significant life that God has blessed us with and to live it with some kind of importance and, and, and some kind of, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, basically, you, you really need to be focused and intentional about what you're doing to make sure that when your life meets an impact, and as that applies to us as Road to Damascus is that we as individuals who we believe are worthy that we come together as a collective group, not as a group of 100 people. It might only be a couple of 10, but we must be worthy and have a significant impact on the lives of the people we touch. So some of the things that we'll talk about uh, uh, when we use the word significant, we'll refer to people in our lives as significantly other. In mathematics and science, sometimes when they're looking at, at samples and statistics, things will be statistically significant. Uh, of case in point, when we talk about coronavirus right now, you have some people who are on one end of the spectrum that believe that this is something that really bad is working. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm good. You guys can hear me, right? Yeah, we do. I told you, we're kicking it old school. <laughs> Uh, and then you have people who support our current president who will say that, well, there's not a statistically significant amount of people who are suffering or ill. So therefore, because it is not uh, uh, significant in relation to influenza, this is something we don't need to worry about. Uh, we talk about uh, times you'll see a cooking show and they'll tell you to add something and when it's just kind of freehand, you add a significant amount to whatever it is that you're cooking. Or we'll say that something is of particular significance or there's significant legislation that is going before the, the House of Representatives. Or in, in, in life, we may have significant events, birthdays, anniversaries. Uh, special occasions where we graduate from school, uh, but then you also have in the his history, we can talk about historically significant events. The invention of the wheel is something that people looked at as significant in the life of humanity. The invention of the printing press, uh, the Wright brothers uh, creating the ability or developing the ability for humans to fly. Prior to that, all we did was ride horses and trains. But this was a significant event. The Protestant Reformation in the life of the church is a significant event where people woke up and said, hey, we're not following this Catholic doctrine any longer. What you people are doing is wrong. Uh, you cannot charge people to buy salvation. And Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses and tacked it on the doors of the cathedral in a protest to what they were going, uh, what the church was doing, which is why they call it the Protestant Reformation and reformed the church and where we have denominations that exist. World War I, the first time in world history that the entire earth was in war, that there was no peace anywhere. World War II, because we know what happened with Pearl Harbor and, and the Holocaust and Germany and the axis of evil and just all these things happening, significant uh, events, uh, more history uh, that we deal with as significant events. The Emancipation Proclamation signed 
that was supposedly giving us the end of slavery but didn't outlaw Jim Crow. Gospel music emerging as uh, a form of worship to God and a form to give people peace uh, in the time of storm. The Harlem Renaissance that emerged with jazz started blossoming, writers coming out, uh, 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 Langston Hughes, uh, 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 I can't even remember the lady's name. Huh? No, not my uh, Zora. Zora, Zora Neale Houston. All these writers that are coming out, putting out new things and, and new stories, the things that people have never heard in a language that we understand, in a language that we speak, talking to our lives. This was a big thing in the lives of America, and particularly for black America. Brown versus the Board of Education. Significant event where we're dealing with no more uh, supposedly uh, 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 ending school segregation, but coming up with separate but equal. The Montgomery Boys bus boycott where we said no longer will we uh, sit to the back of the bus. No longer will we give up our seat to somebody that doesn't look like us. But we are taking our rightful place. And then, of course, the four little girls who were killed in the uh, church bombing. I just read that the last bomber uh, was asking for parole. Can you imagine that? He took the lives of four little girls in the house of God and expects to be paroled from prison. And it's interesting, uh, uh, Bishop Hilton, who was just here, had called me yesterday and I was uh, working at an event with my fraternity and he, uh, we were on a break just when he called <clears throat> and during the discussion, uh, Jawan was asking me some questions and I was responding to the question, but it came out uh, that everybody here knows that I come to church with a gun because I had decided as a pastor I'm not going to sit up in church and have a Dylan Roof come in here and shoot up the members of my congregation. That if you come into Road to Damascus thinking that you're going to harm people who are here worshiping God, you're going to end up getting harmed yourself. And, and so somebody was sitting next to me, uh, wait, what? You actually take a gun to church? I mean, is, is it sitting, you in church? I said, what, are you one of them kind of people that think because I believe in God, I'm not supposed to protect myself? I'm not supposed to protect my home? I'm not supposed to protect the people that I feel I have responsibility for? I said, well, what about your faith? I said, well, you a doctor. Why are you a doctor? People came to you throughout your entire career because they know that when something is wrong, you go to a doctor. Nobody questions the faith of people when they're sick. When you're sick, you take your butt to the doctor. You got a heart condition, you go to a cardiologist. You, got, uh, uh, you get in an accident, you go talk to a physical therapist. We see people all the time in areas of our lives that people don't even question whether or not you have faith in God. You're just something you know you're supposed to do. But except when it comes to protecting your home, somehow, if you believe that you should arm yourself, that, that means that you don't have faith in God to protect you. But it's okay to not have faith in God to heal you. That's a whole nother topic, but I made it be known to him. And he's telling other people, you know, he's a pastor of church and he brings a gun with him. Like, I don't know where you are, but I could tell you this. You won't see on the news 
that Dylan Roof came into our church and killed every parishioner while we worshiped God and him not be harmed himself. Because I will shoot back. But this dude blows up a church. Four little girls in the house of God. And he asked for parole. Historical, a historically significant event in the lives of America. Ah, the March on Washington. You are all seem like all of black America tried to uh, fill up Washington <laughs> and, and demand that America recognize the promise that was made to us as human beings. The Voting Rights Act that, that made it legal. I mean, can you imagine that, that you have a document that guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to every American, that we are born with unalienable rights that give us the right to pursue life, liberty, or life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But then you have to have a subsequent document that says, well, if you're black, you can vote. Because without it, somehow we won't have the right to vote. And you got a president who thinks, I don't need to have this in place. Elected President Barack Obama, significantly historic event in the life of America, in the life of black people, in the life of everybody, because I know I told somebody during the primary season when he was running, don't waste your vote because a brother ain't going to get elected president. <laughs> Till that day, I saw him like, what? And I was as stunned as them folks on Fox News. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. I could have sworn one of them was going to shoot themselves on TV. We just left it a black, and you know they weren't going to say a black man. And you know somebody was, Carl Rove was sitting up there, I don't believe it. We got one of them in the White House. Significant events in the lives of Americans. And the question we ask, the question we should be pondering is, what are we doing to have a significant impact on the people we encounter? What are we doing to have significance, to have a life that's lived, that's worthy, as Paul said, live a life worthy of the calling? How much of this is spent on doing what we feel, doing what we want, deciding as soon as something goes, we could have come in here this morning just like, well, you know what, uh, we don't have no sound, we don't have music uh, and instruments, you know what, we might as well just pack up and go home. I guarantee you there are places that have done that. If something goes wrong, then it's like, we can't do it. We don't know how to function. The fact of the matter is, we're still here. We got breath in our lungs. We got people here, and it doesn't matter if we don't have a sound system. It doesn't matter if we don't have uh, instruments. We still know how to make a joyful noise to God. And the funny thing is, it becomes uncomfortable for people, a group of people, to sit up and try to sing a song. We all know the words to bless that wonderful name of Jesus, but probably only four people were singing, and that included Nehemiah and Curtis. <laughs> It became uncomfortable, but we have to understand that when we start talking about living a life that's worthy, living a life of significance, it doesn't matter. That's why I said from this point on, if I feel the spirit of God lead me to sing, I'm going to sing for God. Doesn't matter if it doesn't sound good, because if it is coming from a place of love and respect and reverence for God, he is going to be pleased. 
So I want to be significant to my God, whether it is through my worship, whether it is through how I live my life, or it is just how I display and impact other people that I want to be significant to them. And that is something that we should all strive for. Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus during a significant point in his life. The significant thing that was going on with Paul was that he was incarcerated. And while he's incarcerated, he still said, I got to get this out. I still have to give the people what God has told me to tell them, even though my situation was not ideal. Even though my situation is not where I want it to be, even though I'm not in the place where I think I should be, I still have to reach these people. So when we as a church or a ministry, uh, we could say like some churches, well, we're too small to do this. We don't have enough people to do what it is that we would desire to do. I mean, realistically to me to sit here and say, yeah, I have a vision to have $18,000 worth of scholarships next year. And if you look around this building, anybody who would come in here and say, you are crazy. <laughs> but God does, le- does more with less. He showed Gideon that he didn't need 10,000 people to defeat an army. He went in with 300 and he said specifically, I am going to reduce this so that you will know that when you have victory, it is from me and not from you. So in this time next year, when we're standing here talking about, man, we got 50 young people vying for these $18,000 in scholarships, we'll be able to know that this was because of God and not because we had 50,000 people here that we didn't have a mega ministry as that bishop said that you need in order to be successful. But this little church will be giving $18,000 in scholarships to college students next year. This is a significant ministry. And the idea is that we have to live a life worthy of that calling. We have to be significant as a church to impact the community. Uh, Paul wrote in Colossians 1.10, said that your walk, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Not just coming to church, not just going to Bible study, but that you live a life that is significant because then you will be fully pleasing to God, fruitful in everything that you do. Not out here wasting time, not out here drinking on the corner, not up here talking about getting high. He said do being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, which means that we have to spend time in his word. You have to spend time meditating with God, praying to God, and reading God's word. If we are not doing that, we will not be worthy, which means that we will not be significant to our Lord and Savior. Paul, in the scripture in Ephesus, identified four attributes that we must have to live a significant life. To be significant in the eyes of God. There we go. (laughs) He said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all first lowliness and gentleness, 
with long suffering, and three, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity and the spirit of bond of peace. The four qualities that Paul talks about, lowliness, meekness, patience, and forbearance. How many of y'all attain or hold those attributes? Don't raise your hand. I don't want nobody up here lying, talking about I got all this stuff. (laughs) But Paul has clearly identified this is something that's important to God. It's important to God because Paul wrote about it, and we know it's important because it's in the Bible that we read today. To have lowliness, meekness, patience, and forbearance. And all of us, all of us here, were not born with silver spoons in our mouths. Right? All of us have probably come from either the country or the hood. And as we know, that from our background, to actually have an attribute of lowliness, meekness, patience, and forbearance are not characteristics that we would think lead to a successful life in the hood. If you are lowliness, have meekness, have patience, and forbearance, People will look at that as weakness. And one of the things we know, you cannot be weak anywhere you go, especially in the hood. But God is telling you directly, you got to have these things in order to please me. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you know, who you hang out with. This is what I desire. And it goes against everything that we believe to our core. We talked about this before, you know, it's it, it, as soon as something happened, it becomes an issue of I ain't a punk. I ain't no punk. I'm getting ready to show you how this thing's going to go. It's like the, uh, the thing that I'm doing with my fraternity this week or the, last, the past, uh, these next couple of weeks, we have these new members, uh, new people who want to become members of this illustrious organization. And one of the young men there, he gets up and they had to talk about who they are to us and the young man gets up and he starts talking and the first thing he says, uh, you know uh, I'm sure y'all can see I got a little hood in me and I'm sitting there looking at him and in my mind I'm thinking bruh ain't nobody impressed with you being from the hood we all from the hood you talking to a room full of brothers here maybe 10% of them grew up in Baldwin Hills the rest of us grew up in South Central, Compton, and, and, and you know, everywhere else. We from the hood. One of the brothers in my chapter grew up in, in Nickerson Gardens as a rocket scientist for uh, uh, JPL. Who's impressed with being from the hood? I told my wife last night, it is not a matter of saying where you're from. You can live anywhere. They just can't live in you. Don't sit up here talking about You can tell I'm from the hood and you want to be a part of my fraternity. But then when we look at this, knowing the attributes, because I know what it takes to be a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, but what does it take to be a member of Christ's fraternity? Do we rather sit up here and talk about I'm from the hood? Or because I no longer present myself as a hood rat, but I got to remind you every now and then, if you test me, I'm going to show you what it means to deal with a brother from the hood. 
And we all been to that point. I actually had to tell somebody in my career uh, that was reporting to me that was upset about a review. I actually was upset about some discipline. And he's pacing in my office like he want to throw. And I had to let him know. I said, dude, you're not intimidating me. I'm not losing my job for this, but across the street, we could take off the uniform and we can handle this like brothers. <laughs> Which, of course, he didn't realize I was going to go at it. Mean, because I don't talk like I used to when I was 18 years old, not because, uh, because I don't dress like I did when I was 18 years old. I mean, I'm sitting around when I, my parents didn't see me. <laughs> <laughs> I had my Raiders hat to the side, wear my big rope gold chain, and have my cool walk, let everybody know I'm down. But that was then, this is now. I don't aspire to continue to be that way. I don't want my children to behave that way. I don't want to see my grandson go that way. But every now and then we feel I got to let you know that while I may have the attributes of Christ and I might carry myself in lowliness and meekness and I might have some patience and maybe I'll give you some forbearance. But I'm going to let you know that you step out of line one more time, bro. We're about to put all this to the side and I'm going to show you. But God said you need to have lowliness. And lowliness is the lack of vanity or self-importance. Some preachers think they're more important than God. When you sit here on a television program and tell somebody that you believe that the, the, uh, the reason you have a successful ministry is how many people are sitting in the seats is a complete lack of understanding of what God has and completely full of yourself. Philippians 2 verses 3 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Any pastor that's asking for a G4 jet ain't thinking about anybody else. Because he's too good to fly commercial. Hey, I know you guys saw the video on Facebook, and if you hadn't, I'm going to tell you about it. These two preachers, televangelists, talking to themselves about why they got to fly on private jets because they can't be contained or constrained with a bunch of sinners on a flying tube. Wow. Jesus is walking through crowds of people where they're coming to him and touching him, pulling on him, but you so important, you got to be able to, to focus on the word while you fly and you can't be bothered with us sinners down here who are looking for a word that needs somebody to pray for them, needs somebody to talk to them, needs somebody to show some compassion and understanding. But when I don't have loneliness, I think I'm so important. I can't fly Delta. I got to go over here to the private jet off of Imperial Highway and get to this airport where nobody bothers me, drop me off in my, uh, my Bentley. And I'm going to fly first class without people. But I have my henny with me. Isaiah 62, 66, 2 says, For all those things my hand is made, and all those exist, says the Lord. But on, the one, on, on this one I will look on him who is poor, which is humble. This is the New King James Version. And of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. This is what God is looking for when he talks about lowliness. Someone who is humble and of a contrite spirit. And we look at these dudes because they're flying around in G4 jets and thinking because they got 10,000 people at their church and two different campuses or three campuses and they're on TV, somehow that means that they're better than us. 
A matter of fact, you have people that will sit there and they will uh, quote one guy all the time his, with his, the one you guys know who I can't stand more than anybody else. Always got him on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter talking about something he says, but I guarantee you my boy is not humble. He may sit up and smile and look like this good old boy who just loves you, but come on now. Everything he says is about self. No van he, uh, a complete uh, lack, has no lack of vanity and no lack of self-importance. Second thing he said, he wants someone who's meek. That is to be uh, the world's definition, when I looked it up, said a person who's meek is humbly patient, docile, overly submissive, spineless. Now this, wait a minute, this is what God said he wanted someone who was meek. What was the, the first one? Lowliness and meekness. But the world says when you have, when you have meekness that you're docile, overly submissive, or spineless. How does the world look at meekness in such a way but God says, this is what's pleasing to me. That you, in order to be spiritually significant, you have to be, uh, have meekness. But the world says, if you're meek, you're spineless. And you know that don't go with us because we ain't no punks, right? <laughs> I got a backbone, bro. But God said, but oh, meekness, according to the biblical dictionary, who has meekness is righteous, humble, Teachable. Meekness is displayed in our attitudes towards others. That I consider you before me. Meekness is restraining one's own power to allow room for others. Jesus said that he was meek, right? Because he restrained his power. He is connected directly to the Father. But he allowed people to beat him whip him and nail him to the cross, restraining his power to allow room for us to get salvation. How much mess are you willing to deal with to restrain your own power? Isn't it something how we look at things happening in life that it becomes, the problem becomes not that they've done something wrong, but our perception is that you're taking power away from me if I allow this to happen. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm meek. Learn from me, for I am meek. You want to learn to be spineless? Or do you want to learn to restrain your power? Do you want to be humble and righteous and teachable? See, the problem with being, uh, uh, avoiding being meek is that my ego says, I can't do this because if I do it, I'm spineless and I ain't no punk. Third thing he said we need, patience. 
Patience is defined as steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. Isn't it amazing how some of the things that happen in our lives that are really not that difficult, but they really will sidetrack us if we allow it. We wouldn't even know how to handle real adversity because we're so caught up in little bitty mess. I mean, there, there comes a time, hopefully none of us will ever get to this place where you may lose a house. That's adversity. I lose my job, I can't keep up the mortgage payment, now my house is in jeopardy of being foreclosed upon. That's adversity. Uh, someone who we, we love that's too young to die gets an illness that takes them out too soon. That's adversity. But some people would have let our situation this morning derail church. This ain't adversity. This is just a situation. But things, situations happen and we have no patience because we think a situation is actually adversity. And then when you get through the situation, you'll look back on it. Why did I make such a big deal about that? That wasn't nothing. Why is this person always aggravating me? They ain't nobody. I know, I know somebody in here, Chris, <laughs> always talking about people at work. And I know he gets to that place at that moment. It's like, you know what? I'm about to show them something. And then later on, it's like, why am I worried about them? He put something up one day uh, talking about somebody, and I just fell out. God, I can't remember what it was. But I just remember, I said, this dude really needs to be on stage somewhere or write a book because he is too funny with these situations. Uh, the one that stands out, this is a little bit off. So when he told you, he realized that you need, uh, they said when you're supposed to wear the, the fit the suit for the job, he said he realized he didn't fit the suit. I just died. Because I can relate to that. The, uh, and so some people will look at a situation. This wasn't a situation that made me laugh. But some people will look at when they realize that they don't fit the suit. That that is some a big problem. When in fact you may not fit the suit for a reason that God has ordained. There have been so many times that I looked at. Why am I not getting promoted because I'm better than this person. Oh, perfect example. The lady who took my job after I left Toyota, been there a year and a half, just got promoted. And it, it made me so mad, so mad, that I text a bunch of people from Toyota, how in the, did this happen? How is this person who couldn't maintain what I set up get promoted? I, it, I mean, you heard me talk about what I did there. I'm the best at finished vehicle logistics, right? It's not me bragging or proud or pride. The numbers, I got statistics that will say that Ronald Thomas is the best in the world. Don't mean anything to anybody outside the auto industry, but the fact <laughs> of the matter is, it's the truth. And I didn't get promoted. I just set a level, I put the bar high, this lady comes behind me, bar is now low, and she gets promoted. So one person said to me, well, she's charming. Charming is now the, the, the baseline for promotion, not the quality of work, how well you manipulate people and to think you're supposed to be something as opposed to producing results. 
Well, she's so sweet and she's so smart. Not that you're not sweet and smart. Maybe you should smile more because you can be intimidating. And here again, I don't know how many times in my career that I've heard that you are intimidating. Why am I intimidating? Well, because I'm smart, because I am big, and the fact of the matter is, is because I'm black. That I have to somehow smile and shuck and drive to make people feel okay to come talk to me. To make you feel not threatened to come to me. Change the tone of my voice so I don't sound so powerful. Help! Lord have mercy. I ain't changing nothing about me to make you feel comfortable. If you don't have enough backbone to come to me. But maybe that's not the right attitude. Am I being meek? See, I hate when I start preaching to myself. (laughs) Am I being meek? But he said you got to be patient. (laughs) Romans 9.22. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Then I know this is worded a little differently, but it's essentially saying... What if God gave you what you deserve? That I show you no patience because I done showed you the way. I've given you my book. I've given you my word. And you know how you're supposed to live. But you decide you will do it your way. What if God just decided, you know what, I'm not even going to forgive these folks. Forget this thing called patience. I'm done. How would life be different then? James wrote in uh, chapter 5, verse 10, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Jesus even said uh, that they had the prophets that came before him and we killed them. Are you prepared to die? To be pleasing to God? Because he's telling us, take the example and the suffering as an example of suffering and patience. But we ain't punks, right? Last thing, forbearance. This is the act of restraining from exercising a legal right as in a payment of debt. Those of us who have student loans understand what it means when they say you want a forbearance. (laughs) I can't afford it right now. I'm running behind. But can you extend the forbearance So there, we're asking them to hold off their legal right of collecting this money for another time. Uh, The Bible says it's essentially to hold back, to delay a punishment, to refrain from doing something. You know how we want to respond right away, whether it is physical or verbal? What about the forbearance that we're supposed to have to delay? I'm going to delay this butt kicking I owe you. I'm going to refrain from saying these things that I want to say, you know? This is what he's saying, forbearance. Galatians 6.2, Paul tells us, we need to bear up one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Forbearance, to refrain from doing any action. Even though we have the right, refrain from it. God has the right to cast us in the pit of hell right now. 
But his forbearance says no. But we think we're better than God because as soon as somebody steps out of line, we either got to tell them about themselves or we're going to show them what's wrong and why they're wrong. Paul wrote again to the church at Rome, 325. He's talking about Jesus, whom God set forth as appropriation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed because he restrained from taking action. This is the example we have to have for a significant life. Ah, well, whatever, this thing ain't working right. To be significant, to live a life that's worthy of what God has called us to have. Lowliness, meekness, patience, forbearance. The four qualities that we know we're not supposed to have in the world, but God is saying, this is what's going to make you significant to me. So we have to decide as a people, do we want to be significant to God or do we want to please the world? And that is hard. I told somebody before, if being a Christian was easy, everybody would do it. A friend of mine told me when we were in college and converted to Islam, man, it's hard being a Muslim, Ron. I said, dude, it's hard being anything if you ascribe to the belief. Being a Christian ain't easy. The problem is we have been bad salesmen for Christ because we've been living our life our way instead of living it God's way. But if you live a life according to how God has, it's a difficult life. It ain't easy. It's not easy putting away our natural inclination to fight in order to save someone's soul. Actually, to save your own soul. It is not easy to not tell somebody off. It is not easy to not knock somebody's teeth out of their mouth. Your heart says, I got to do it. I remember what Fred Smith used to say, I'm going to give you five across your lip. (laughs) That's what most of us feel like all the time. I'm about to give you something to remember what you did. You're going to know every time you open your mouth what you said to me because I'm going to knock you so hard you will remember this for the next 10 years. I remember as a kid, my mom told me one time she was going to knock the black off me. Not that I'm that black. It wouldn't have to hit that hard. But you know, there's some folks that you tell that to, you're going to be, that's a hard hit. But God is not asking us to take that into our own hands. He is asking us to restrain our power to have some humility, to be righteous, teachable people, to hold back from exercising your legal right. You might have all the rights in the world, but it means nothing in the eyes of God. We have to be significant to God in order to be useful to God. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you and praise you. We give your name glory.